from the kids to Aunt Sue. Keep your whole family connected on all their devices with crowd-pleasing gig-speed internet from Xfinity. Now that's simple, easy, awesome. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY or visit today. Restrictions apply. Actual speed vary and not guaranteed. Live from Washington, D.C. every Wednesday from 3 to 4 p.m. for an hour-long Generation Progress takeover. Check us out at genprogress.org or on Twitter at genprogress. Hello and welcome to the Generation Progress takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I am your co-host, Charlotte Hancock. And I'm Brent J. Cohen. Um, and today uh, we have a, a good show, but um, a serious show. Uh, we're going to be talking about um, immigration in the Trump administration. Um, this administration has been particularly cruel on the issue of immigration. For example, it was reported just yesterday that President Trump sought out quotes for the cost of building an alligator-filled moat at the southern border and advocated for shooting people in the legs as they attempted to cross the border. Um, yeah. But United States immigration policy and the enforcement of those policies by Homeland Security, ICE, and CBP has always been deeply flawed. Some of the most egregious actions of this administration have been highlighted fairly extensively by the media, the family, separation policy comes to mind. Um, however, the consistent violence, uh, neglect, and physical and psychological harm experienced by people crossing into the United States who are held in our detention facilities is an enormous and ongoing crisis. In order to address this activist-led movement, in, in order to address this, uh, activist-led movements have called on the government to abolish ICE and or significantly cut funding for ICE and CBP. But due to loopholes in the congressional appropriations process, ICE is still managing to claim more and more funding for themselves at the expense of other agencies like FEMA that desperately need the money. So to walk us through what is happening with the defund hate movement, congressional appropriations, and immigration policy more generally, we are joined today by Yesenia Chavez, the immigration, the immigrants' rights policy analyst at the ACLU, uh, and Amy Fisher, the defund hate coordinator at the Detention Watch Network. Thank you so much for both joining us today. Thanks Thank you for, for having, having us. Yeah. yeah, it's great to great to have you here in the studio in person. So, um, to start us off, uh, Yesenia, can you tell us a little bit more about the work you're doing as the Immigrants' Rights Policy Analyst for the ACLU? How did you come into the immigration space? Give Maybe give some people some grounding on uh, how you come to your work. Yeah, absolutely. So, I'm a daughter of immigrants. My parents are both from Mexico, um, so this work is super personal to me. Um, and I think... Um, previously, I worked for a member of Congress and was able to work on immigration issues through a very intersectional lens, worked on um, specifically issues within detention centers. Um, but now, you know, working at ACLU, we are facing all of the different um, violations that this administration is uh, is doing against immigrant communities. Um, but what I love about the work that we do is, you know, not only advocacy um, at the congressional front, but also in states for pro-immigrant policies. Um, so that's a little bit about the work we do. Um, and what are you and your team at the ACLU currently focused on? Yeah, so right now we're hyper-focused on the appropriations fight and um, really calling for Congress to rein in the Department of Homeland Security through funding and making budget cuts to the Immigration Customs and Enforcement and Customs and Border Protection agencies, um, which have 
you know, done a, 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 a number of abuses against the immigrant community. Um, and so, you know, we'll get into it a little bit further, mm-hmm. but um, looking at the budget deadline um, that's coming up. Awesome. Um, and Amy, uh, can you tell us a little bit more about your work um, at the Detention Watch Network? Sure. So DWN um, was founded in 1997, and pretty much since then, we've been really focused on the inhumane and punitive nature of immigration enforcement, and specifically on ICE's harmful and damaging practices of immigration detention. And um, the work that we do is is really divided into like two large campaigns right now. So we do a lot of work. We do. Um, strategic communications and supporting community organizing and policy work, but we have sort of two big campaigns that we throw a lot of capacity behind, one of which is a Communities Not Cages campaign, which really focuses on um, shutting down detention centers in localities and stopping the expansion of detention at the local level. And then our federal campaign that we we um, work around is the Defund Hate campaign, really recognizing that ICE and CBP are two agencies that are violent and deadly and unaccountable. And the best way to restrict their ability to do the harm that we know they are prone to do is to restrict the resources that they have to do that harm. I think um, I, I'm really glad that we have both of you guys on the show together today because I think people, uh, when they think about the immigration space, if they're not totally tapped into it, they don't realize um, how many different um, facets there are to the fight here. Um, and, you know, w- when you're talking about um, immigration policy, it's everything from like DACA is different from, uh, you know, the crisis at the border to uh, there, there's just so much going on in this space that I'm glad that we have um, a sort of like multifaceted approach here. And I'm glad to have you both on. Yeah, um, and I'll just add to that last point. Even within, when you think about uh, detention and detaining folks who are coming, uh, maybe coming across the border, there's like five or four different agencies, federal agencies that have a hand in this, at least, right? And so as we think about the complicated web, which sometimes can make it really difficult for folks to understand what's happening and how to engage, you're talking about CBP, Customs and Border Patrol, who have their own sort of short-term facilities. You're talking about ICE, which is doing uh, on the deportation, on sort of like the, the raids and stopping people who might get further in uh, into the nation, but still detaining folks, um, sometimes in concert with uh, local and state law enforcement. And then you have ORR within Health and Human Services, right, which is supposed to be the safe alternative, quote unquote, for children. But we know that we don't need kids in cages, whether it's an HHS facility or in CBP facility. And so just being really conscious as we as we think about this and as we talk about it, all the different facets and, and, and complexity that's involved in this system and how that's not how people live lives. And so what ultimately ends up happening is, uh, you know, people are harmed, communities are harmed, whether it's, um, you know, perhaps at different levels, but certainly it's good to have your your expertise on the show to sort of talk us through some of that as well. Definitely, and I think one of the things just to name is that, like, yes, as you mentioned, there are three different agencies that are detaining people and, like, thousands upon thousands of people every single day, and those three agencies are largely working together as well to um, criminalize and enforce and detain people, and so I think it's really important for us as much as possible to help people really like lift the veil bet- behind the agencies to understand them so that once we understand them, we can sufficiently push back against the harm that they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. That that totally makes sense. And 
And I think, you know, Charlotte, you talked about some of the some of the language that came out in the recent New York Times article and in other publications uh, where Donald Trump was calling for uh, moats with snakes and alligators. Mind you, he couldn't is, is spell he, I'm moat. sorry, like a Bond villain or something? Like, where is he? I just... I, like you could not create a more like cartoonish. I mean, it's horrifying because our pre- he's our president, but you could not create a more cartoonish villain. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. I, and he and he was calling for literally shooting human beings for attempting to um, apply for asylum or immigrate into this country, um, and and he wants flesh piercing daggers on the top of walls. Right. So one, we just have to hear that and reflect on 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 how that hatred is filled into everyday acts of violence, which we know happen through hate crimes rising, and also into organizations like CBP that have a history of white supremacist uh, ideology going through it in its rank and file. But also, he has said these things publicly before, at least some of them. He has laughed at his rallies when it's come to shooting uh, migrants and people attempting to cross the border, right? So it's shocking to see it all in one paragraph, and also, it shouldn't shock anybody that he said this because he quite literally said that in public and he's quite literally asked for things to be put on top of uh, of, of his so-called border wall, right? He's wanted spears and he's asked about it publicly in the past. He wanted them painted black and with spears on top. Like this level of evil um, and cruelty and, you know, to, to quote the phrase, the, the cruelty is the point, has been said publicly so we shouldn't be shocked that it has also been said privately in his in his senior staff meetings. So I know we're coming just up until a break. When we come back, we're going to be talking uh, more about what's happening in the immigration space, more about the appropriations battle that'll be taking place soon on and why targeting the money is such an effective strategy uh, to really um, rein in some agencies here that are are out of control. Uh, So this is the Generation Progress Takeover, the Leslie Marshall Show, and we'll be right back after this break. Back to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm your co-host Brent J. Cohen, and I'm Charlotte Hancock. And we are talking today about uh, what's going on in the immigration space. We're joined in studio by Yesenia Chavez from the um, ACLU, who's an immigrants' rights policy analyst, and we're joined by Amy Fisher from Detention Watch Network, uh, the Defund Hate Coordinator. And so, uh, just over the break here, we were talking, we were sort of following up on the conversation we had started before on air about the web of complexity um, out here in the immigration space, specifically among federal agencies. So, um, Amy, if you want to just walk us through sort of what, what, what does it look like when someone's applying for asylum, which, as we just talked about, the vast majority of folks who are, who are crossing the border now are, what does that look like? Where does someone go, and, and how do they sort of progress, for lack of a better term, through, through the web of agencies out there? Sure, and I'm, I'm happy to start, and then, yes, Anya, feel free to interrupt any time, because I, I know you know this stuff, too. Um, so just to start out and to name you cannot apply for asylum unless you are inside of the United States. Mm-hmm. So um, somebody has to get into the United States in order to apply for asylum. And so what we are typically seeing is that people are arriving to our southern border and trying to, and like emphasis on trying, to seek asylum that way. And so what many people will do is just like walk across one of the bridges and when they account, encounter an agent, they'll say, you know, I'm here to seek asylum. Um, 
that is how things are supposed to work. But as we've seen, this administration has been wholeheartedly attacking the asylum, asylum system. And so what is happening frequently is, you know, you'll walk across and say, I'm here to seek asylum. And then the agent will turn you around and say, you can't do that today. We're full. There are lists in some places. And so that's a thing that's known as metering. Um, right now, they're attempting to, you know, do some short-term processing and then turning people back to, to Mexico, and that's what is known as the Remain in Mexico program. Um, and then the other thing to name is that for so many of the people that are, you know, just simply turned away at the bridges, those people are then um, oftentimes trying to just, like, cross through land or through river, um, which if you're seeking asylum is is like a fully valid way. Um, and, and so they'll be sort of trying to go about these like remarkably dangerous journeys in order to come into the United States um, to seek protection that way. Because we should name that it's not necessarily safe for them to be waiting in Mexico. Exactly. We've seen a lot of like extortions happening, um, some of the cartels taking advantage of the fact that asylum seekers are having to wait there, um, and it's just not safe. And also, let's just name that Mexican asylum seekers are also being turned away to Mexico where they're seeking asylum from. Like it just none of it makes sense. Mm-hmm. None of it makes sense. And 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 to your former point, for folks who are not from Mexico who are seeking asylum and being told to remain in Mexico, that's an incredibly vulnerable, transient group of people. They obviously don't have homes. They likely don't have networks there. And so you're saying, essentially, stay in this place where there is no infrastructure set up for you, um, where you don't know anybody to develop your own infrastructure. That, That just puts people at risk. Exactly. And then for the people that are able to get inside the United States, Um, What happens is if you are an adult, you are processed within Customs and Border Protection. Um, And that's where, you know, we see the stories of the border facilities that are known as the, like, ice boxes and dog kennels with the, um, like, aluminum foil blankets and those things. And those are intended to be short-term facilities, although that definition of short-term keeps getting sort of prolonged and prolonged. And then, for the most part, people are then transferred to... ICE detention, Immigration and Customs Enforcement detention, where they're then subject to prolonged detention for sometimes, you know, months, even years at a time. Got it. Um, So, again, and that's that web of sort of federal agencies. Exactly. um, So, given this web that's happening, given the sort of cruelty that's come out of this administration, and it's not to say that our immigration system was fully functioning and and particularly a, a, a gem in the past, but I but I feel like there's there's been added cruelty at this point, right? Uh, a, a desire from this administration to really cut off all pathways to to immigration, particularly for immigrants from Black and Brown communities, um, and all pathways, not just quote-unquote undocumented immigrants, but also going after legal pathways such as asylum, as we just talked about, really trying to cut off um, avenues into the country. Um, And so, uh, Yesenia, if you could share with us a bit about the work that you're doing and and that ACLU is doing in this space, how are you fighting back against this? And and what have you found to be um, uh, really taking root in terms of um, driving towards some some progress here uh, and pushing back? 
Yeah, absolutely. So as you all probably know, the ACLU is traditionally a, a litigation uh, organization, and they've been consistently uh, fighting against, in court, fighting against all of the various policies that the Trump administration has um, you know, put in place. But in addition, we're also, you know, advocating for um, a decrease in funding for these agencies because we know that there's all of these attacks and the one way that could really, um, you know, we could target easily um, and by easily, it's not easy at all. Um, but I think it would be, um, it, it's like a way to resolve all of the different issues that the Trump administration is enacting. Um, is to to talk to legislators and really make them understand how um, the Department of Homeland Secu Security consistently has been going above their budget that the con that Congress approves and consistently getting more money than they're supposed to um, by using different tactics um, and abusing them. So that's something that we're really trying to shed light on and push legislators to use their you know, separation of powers and checks and balances to really bring, um, you know, some some type of parity here. Yeah, can you talk, I mean, I, I, f I feel like, unfortunately, um, we get news stories on our regular basis about um, how folks are being treated here, and I, I that doesn't that doesn't mean we sh we shouldn't just we have to discuss like what we're talking about when we're talking about some of like the difficulties it's not just I mean it's just not it's not just like a labyrinth um that uh, is sort of existing uh, in a vacuum like we this is a system that people are navigating and um what are the challenges that people in detention centers are facing um, and how are systems failing them um, I know that there was breaking news on this recently um that's been important and illustrative. Yeah, so um, just about an hour ago, BuzzFeed reported that um, there was a 37-year-old from Cameroon who died um, at the Ote Mesa Detention Center um, yesterday. Um, and I think that is really what we see in the system, right, is that um, we see deaths in custody. We see um, solitary confinement, we see medical neglect, we see rotten food, we see physical abuse, cruelty. So, and we're going to, when we come back from this break, we're going to hear more about what's happening, the conditions inside. So, Amy, I want to come right back to you and, and pick up on this conversation uh, that we had just before the break, uh, where we were talking about, uh, first of all, the fact that a 37-year-old man just lost his life one day into the fiscal year um, here, and, and, and two, you started to talk a bit about what what conditions look like in, in facilities, what people are dealing with, the, the reality of what it is to be in a detention facility. So could we just pick up there and, and, and share a bit more about why just throwing more money at this problem isn't the answer? So right now, there are about 51,000 people in ICE detention, and that is the highest it's ever been. And ICE has more money than they ever have had. And over the last 10 some odd years, 
CBP's budget has tripled. ICE's budget has doubled. ICE's budget continues to grow year after year, and yet people are still dying in custody. And so I, I think the thing that we have to recognize is that the problem isn't the need for better conditions because abuse is endemic to the system. The problem is that the agency itself and the detention system as it operates needs to be it, it's, that is the problem. The problem is the agency, the problem is the detention system, and that the ultimately the proof is in the pudding, that this agency has gotten more money year after year after year, and the cruelty continues. The cru cru cruelty is actually, like, has been exacerbated with additional funding, and that you cannot trust these agencies that have this level of cruelty and this approach to human beings to all of a sudden treat people in a humane way. It is contrary to the missions of these agencies and it's just not going to happen if you keep giving them more money. It just has not happened and it will not happen. So more money means better funded abuse. Exactly. And more abuse. So I think um, that leads us uh, sort of into our um, next point here. Um, and just to, to remind folks, we're talking with uh, Yesenia Chavez from the ACLU and um, Amy Fisher. Uh, she's the defund hate coordinator at the Detention Watch Now Network. Um, and the defund hate campaign has just recently uh, launched. Um, more partners every day um, are coming out in support. Um, can you give us a little bit of a, what, what the concept is um, behind defund hate? And like, um, you know, you're talking here about better funded detention centers <laughs> is not the answer here. So what are the goals of uh, Defund Hate? So Defund Hate came together right at the start of the Trump administration when there was this like recognition that we had Republican control of the White House, Senate, and House of Representatives, and Trump's campaign was based upon anti-immigrant fervor. Mm -hmm. And it was this idea that we were not going to be able to have any legislative changes or policy changes that would be positive. And so defund hate came about as like a very tactical approach to restrict the harms that we knew that the Trump administration wanted to do against immigrant communities. But the other thing that I think we that that comes out of the defund hate campaign is this idea that also for our champions for um, politicians and members of Congress that who for years and years have said we stand with immigrant communities and we condemn the language of the Trump administration and we condemn the harm that the Trump administration is doing yet at the same time continue to rubber stamp billions and billions of dollars to these agencies and there was this kind of like cognitive dissonance between their words and the funding that mm -hmm. was um, fueling these harms and so a huge portion of what defund hate is trying to do is is like stop that cognitive dissonance and so engage in a tactical way in the federal appropriations process to cut funding to ICE and CBP to restrict the amount of harm that these agencies are able to do and then also build this build champions and build this narrative that like minor reforms and additional funding are not actually going to resolve the problem and I want to say that this is like 
a successful campaign. So since the campaign's founda- founding, we have b- successfully blocked over $7 billion, and that's billion with a B, dollars um, to ICE and CBP. Um, and Yesenia, uh, I know that um, you have engaged with this through your work at the ACLU as well. Um, it's, I mean, it's it's great to see that this is just something that is a coalition of so many different types of organizations. Can you talk us through a little bit about what your relationship has been to the defund hate movement and why you think it's important? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, like I mentioned earlier, we're definitely involved in court and and suing Trump and all of the things. Um, <laughs> but I think, you know, when we when it comes to like the congressional, um, you know, appropriations process, we see a very uh, strategic way to combat all of the stuff that um, Trump is doing. And so I think w- one of the things you mentioned earlier that I found really interesting was um, this is like decades upon decades of uh, built up enforcement and detention. Um, and what we've seen and what what we think should also be changing is the narrative and the approach that progressives have towards immigration. Um, We should have you know, like a very person person first thinking mm-hmm. about this issue and thinking about it through a very humane lens. Um, but unfortunately, even progressives, as Amy was saying, have used very enforcement forward thinking uh, when it comes to immigration. And that's why when Trump got into office, he was basically handed a loaded gun, right? So he's been using laws to the fullest extent. He's also done some unconstitutional things. Right. <laughs> right, right? It's been a mixture. Yeah. But also, like, he's mm-hmm. been he's been like using what the system that was created um, to its fullest extent in, you know, in in terms of trying to limit the amount of immigrants in this country. Um, so I think that's something that we want to, like, make sure um, to profile here is like there is there is something to be said about the narrative that's out there. And what we've seen consistently is conservatives always have the same like xenophobic anti-immigrant messaging. But progressives approach this issue through a very like nuanced lens instead of really like coming at it through a humanitarian perspective and thinking about like, um, you know, like a very comprehensive approach like. 11 million undocumented folks need citizenship in this country and we need to look at the border through a very humanitarian lens and um, I think there's just like so much that is to be said about just like how uh, progressives engage in the fight. They like most of the time already come in compromising um, and, and so that's something we're really trying to focus on and the money is like follow the money right and I think that's that's mm-hmm. one way that we're one of the reasons we're engaging. Yeah, so we're we're engaging in this fight on their terms. You know, they've set the groundwork. Uh, conservatives set the groundwork, and we're like, okay, like we'll we'll just like jump to that instead of taking a much more like uh, serious and um, I don't want to say radical because it shouldn't be radical to uh, treat people with humanity, right. um, but a much more uh, sort of um, aggressive stance in fixing this problem. And I think one of the other things to name is that. A budget is a moral document. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that's your like individual family budget and what you spend your like paycheck on every day, but even greater when you're talking about the budget of a country, especially a country as large as the United States. And so it says something, and that's been a huge thing that like we talk about in Defund Hate is talking about wanting to divest from these like violent, abusive, cruel agencies, and and invest into things that really uphold our progressive values like 
education and healthcare mm-hmm. and green infrastructure. So what if instead of throwing five billion dollars at a racist border wall, we put five billion dollars into education programs, into healthcare programs, into nutrition programs, I- into programs that would like genuinely lift up and make communities whole and healthy and vibrant. Yeah, I it totally makes sense. And, and to your point, when I was um, pushing for state um, legislation on different issues back in New York, one of the ways that we would try to tackle it is is by going after the respective budgets. First, the governor's budget, the the assembly's budget, the senate's budget, because we knew that as much as it was they had it to negotiate it, it was a statement of principle exactly. for where that entity, and you had three entities coming together to make that state budget, where that entity stood on a particular issue. It was a moral document, it was a statement of principle, and it was a statement of priority. Mm-hmm. And so what we need is, is we, and, and credit to Defund Hate for, for leading on this work, is we need our leaders coming out with their statement of principle and their statement of clarity, moral clarity, saying this is not where we should be investing money. Um, and, and you know, proud that Generation Progress has signed on to the Defund Hate campaign uh, a little bit, uh, certainly uh, building and, and joining the, the, the terrific work you all have done. So incredibly grateful uh, and excited to be a part of this movement with you all. We're excited to have you all. Thank you. <laughs> um, and, you know, I, speaking about sort of having this argument on their terms, I think there's an acceptance among most people in this country that detention facilities are just a way of life. And it's a matter of, you know, how over capacity they are or what the conditions are within them. Or, But we don't really need to put people in detention. Yeah. People, people <laughs> like even if no other aspect of the system changed, and granted, there are a whole bunch of aspects of the system that need to change. We need a we need to holistically look at how we're depriving people of liberty and self autonomy, and how we're impacting folks both in 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 home countries and here in the United States, which become home countries. Um, but even if we didn't do that hard work, which is incredibly critical and necessary for us to do. We don't need to physically put people in detention facilities. Folks will still show up for their, for their immigration hearings. Folks will still live and contribute to communities, much more so than they can in a detention facility where they're prohibited from liberty. Um, there is quite, from my perspective, quite literally no justifiable argument in addition to the human rights atrocities that take place, in addition to the fact that we're stealing people's liberty and disconnecting them from their communities and families. There is no reason to put someone in a detention facility. It's just not necessary. definitely I mean I think it's it's entirely unnecessary and it's also wholly ahistorical so prior to the 80s like the United States rarely 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 ever detained people for immigration purposes Um, and it was in like 1984 as a result of Cubans and Haitians coming Mm -hmm. to the country that the U.S. decided to start building a immigration detention infrastructure, and it's just kept growing and growing since then. And and so this idea that like calling for the end of immigration detention is some like radical bananas idea is is kind of crap because we know 1984 wasn't that long ago, and if it was <laughs> fine then, it can be fine now. And and I, I know we need to uh, jump to to break here in just a second, but before we do. 
when you talk about the um, immigration patterns and the the building of deep, uh, detention facilities and specifically coinciding with influx of, of Cuban and, and, and Haitian immigrants, we also have to recognize that our immigration system has been ripe with racism for a yes. long time. And it was when darker skinned Cubans were coming that people wanted a, a detention facility. And black Haitians and and black Haitians with the like you know, super crime era of the 80s and 90s. That is that is by no means con- like incidental. It is not a coincidence. It is wholly purposeful. So, so that is uh, Amy Fisher. She is the defund hate coordinator of the Ten- Detention Watch Now Network, and we're also talking to Yasinia Chavez, the immigrants' rights policy analyst at the ACLU. Uh, we're going to go to a quick break here, and we will be right back with more from them um, after the after the commercial break. Progress takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I am your co-host Charlotte Hancock, and I'm Brent J. Cohen. Um, and we've been talking in studio with Yesenia Chavez from the ACLU and Amy Fisher at the Detention Watch Network. Um, and I think we've been talking a lot about uh, the goals of defund hate um, and why it's so necessary, and all of um, all of the bad that defund hate is trying to combat. So I wanted to sort of toggle a little bit here and do a little bit more of like uh, forward thinking, like what's What's um what's the positive uh, result and like the world we are hoping to live in essentially like if if the defund hate the defund hate campaign um were had the most successful outcome that it could possibly have um what does that look like for the immigration space? Well, I think um, first off we would see cuts in funding um, to the agencies that we know are. are and like significant cuts. Significant cuts, yeah. <laughs> Not like marginal, but significant. And we're also like realistic about the, you know, political climate that we're in. However, like Amy said, there's been a lot of gains um, that this campaign has has made just in its short two-year lifespan. So um, I think cuts in funding, because we know that the funding is what's leading um, the enforcement of Trump's policies for detention enforcement and deportation. Um, yeah, I mean, I think defund hate is working really hard for this like very simple call for significant cuts in funding to ICE and CBP. But part of that work is also really lifting up how damaging and horrible these agencies are um, and doing our best to add some layers of accountability and public oversight and just like public education about how these agencies are acting really in a way that is unaccountable and violent. Um, and so I think we, we also have that sort of added layer of that, that added goal of trying to push the public narrative. The, the missions and the like incentivization, like the incentive structure in these agencies is totally wrong if we're talking about like humanitarian, like people first type stuff, right? Like these are just not set up to like the, the goals of these agencies are not to prioritize um, decency um, and uh, like respect in human life. Um, so what does humane immigration policy look like um, in a world without the current forms of ICE and uh, CBP, Customs and Border Patrol? What do you imagine enforcement of that policy would look like? So I would say that, first off, I just want to share, you know, Department of Homeland Security is only about 15 years old, right? So, like, there is a history of the U.S. living without DHS. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it was, you know, born out of uh, 9-11 and kind of 
um, an overemphasis on policing, right, of, of immigrant communities, specifically uh, black and brown communities, right? Um, so I think when we're talking about a humane approach to immigration, we're talking about, you know, 11, getting citizenship for the 11 million undocumented people that are in this country. Um, we're talking about cutting funding for ICE and CBP, which are the agencies that um, implement all of the policies the administration is putting out there. We're talking about cutting mass detention, mass immigration detention by at least 75 percent. Um, and instead enforcing community-based alternatives to detention. Um, and then, you know, we're also thinking about a humane approach to migration at the border that protects the civil rights and civil liberties of not only the immigrants coming to the border, but also the, board, the people who live in the border communities. Um, so I think that's, in general, the ACLU's uh, forward thinking of where we want to see immigration go and where we hope electeds and progressives can really, um, you know, start to take a hold of that narrative um, and really fight for it. Um, and Amy, what would you um, and the Detention Watch Network like to see happen in terms of immigration policy moving forward? So DWN is really proud to say that we're an abolitionist organization. Um, and when we talk about the need to abolish ICE, that also means the need to abolish detention. And any sort of and this isn't just about like ICE as an agency, it's about the need to abolish the targeting and criminalization and incarceration and surveillance and deportation and detention of immigrants. Um, and so when we talk about what we are working towards and what our vision looks like, it's this idea of um, needing to truly reimagine our approach to migration as a country and to truly build a society that is centered on dignity and freedom and justice and liberty. So essentially the ideals we've been told are upon which this country was built. Absolutely. Yeah. Conceptually, philosophically. And really uphold Live our that. values. Yeah. Live yeah. our values. So thank you so much for being with us in studio. This has been the Generation Progress Takeover the Leslie Marshall Show. We've been talking all things immigration policy with Yesenia Chavez from the ACLU and Amy Fisher from Detention Watch Network. I'm your co-host, Brent J. Cohen. And I'm Charlotte Hancock. Um, and if folks want to find a little bit more about the work that y'all have been doing, uh, is there a website that each of you would be able to plug real fast? Yeah, definitely. I would go to aclu.org backslash DHS money. And you can go to detentionwatchnetwork.org. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having us. Thank you.